Mike Hartman, performance mindset strategist. This is Develop the Mindset of a Champion with former Stanley Cup champion, Mike Hartman. This morning we have Stefan. Good morning, Stefan. Good morning, Mike. Good to see you. How are you doing? Good to see you. So, Steph, I like to learn, you know, tell people a little bit about you, and I'd love to, to hear your story and share it with everybody else. Well, they, it's a good point. For so, for so many years, I identif- we identify ourselves just as the hockey player, and uh, we realize later on ju- it's just more, much more than that. I am father of two. I'm a grandfather now. My son, Stefan Jr., uh, his wife gave birth to a, uh, a baby about five months ago. James, uh, my daughter's uh, graduate, graduated from uh, uh, Maine University. Uh, I coach my kids uh, when I retired. And uh, But it's funny that you mentioned that, but it's you go through life and you think you're only good at what you, my people identify us as just being the hockey player. And it so took true. a lot. Yeah, it took me so many years to realize we we are much much more than that. But it took me a few years to sit back and uh, what I'm good at. It's just like you said, I like to give back. I uh, started programs here in the Bronx, uh, in Pennsylvania. We do a lot of stuff for the Rangers, a lot of stuff on my own. And uh, but I had to try too many a lot of things on my own and fail a few times to realize what my purpose in life. And I realize. My purpose in life is to help others. And that's- you said a good word, Stefan. You said the word fail. Yeah. And I've learned over the years, sometimes we're afraid to fail. So when, when, if you don't try or you don't do your best or you don't give everything you have, uh, even if you have, let's say you're sick and you're going to work and you only have 60%, but you still have to give 100% of that 60% meaning you, you have to give whatever you have. And, and just because you fail doesn't make you a failure, but quitting puts that into the failure category. And, and I know like, you know, with, with your story, you know, you, you played in the NHL, 848 games. Am I somewhere around there? Uh, you scored the biggest goal in Ranger history. And it, it was all through your mindset when you played, but we also have to talk a little bit about the mindset when you were done, tell me the highlights of your career and the way you prepared yourself as a hockey player early on. Cause you came into the uh, NHL at 18 uh, top pick to Chicago Blackhawks came into the league. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, to uh, get drafted by the, uh, the Calgary flames in 1987. And I finished my two years in, uh, in, uh, in juniors for the hall Olympics, which uh, Wayne Gretzky was our owner. And I, um, I went through the, uh, the normalcy of, uh, of a hockey player. I finished my two years of uh, juniors. I went to, to the minors in Salt Lake City in the minor league. And when I was ready to make the NHL as a 20, 21-year-old, there was no room in the, the uh, Calgary organization. There was 23 players signed on the one-way contract. And it took one injury a week before the season started. Colin Pedersen, I think you played with him in Buffalo, um, he got injured and that gave me a spot, the door open and that gave me an opportunity to show, showcase my talent. And after that, I never went back to the minors. Colin went to retired after that. So I, um, but I had to put a lot of hard work just like anybody else. Uh, I grew up in a small town where there was not too many, too many opportunity to, to be successful beside uh, be a good student, but also be a good uh, good hockey player. 
back then we only had uh, we didn't have any playstation we didn't have any games to play but our game was to play on the street play organized hockey and i i had a lot of friends along the way that really helped me i grew up well, with what about stefan what about pierre turgeon he was my roommate in buffalo he was the number one pick overall to the buffalo sabers uh, he lived with me uh, in his uh, second year, his first year, he lived with the family in Buffalo. In his second year, he's in training camp. He says, hey, Mike, can I live with you? I said, sure. So we lived together in Amherst, New York. And he mentioned that you guys were best friends and grew up. And I heard some great stories uh, about you guys. So tell me a little bit about Pierre. Well, we grew up together. Our parents met at the hospital. Uh, I was born September 2nd. Pierre was born uh, August 28th. So they met in the hallway at the hospital. And we played organized hockey together. We play hockey uh, in the street. We play hockey in the living room. And we played uh, till he, he left when he was 14 years old to pursue his career in Montreal. And I stayed back because my parents could not afford to, uh, to put me in the, um, in the major triple league in Montreal. But uh, we, uh, we stayed close today. We still, we did mention your name a few weeks ago when I said, well, I've been talking to, to Mike Hartman for a lot of, for a while now and they, he that brought a smile to his face he had some good memories and uh, but uh, what I what I'm trying to say is like I grew up with Pierre Eric Desjardins was a captain of the Flyers Andre Rasico Pierre's brother Silmay was a our idol growing up and uh, we push each other and I think I became a much better player growing up and that led me to uh, to be drafted and later on played in the NHL for 13 years now I'm jealous of you guys and I'll tell you why both of you, because I grew up uh, loving baseball. So I'm going to get into mindset here a little bit. So you played baseball uh, because, you know, I knew, I knew the story, but you could tell people one day I'm watching, I'm in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, it might've been three years ago. And I turn on the little league world series and there's you and Pierre. And I, I knew you guys played, but I didn't realize you both played on the same team in the little league world series. How did, how did that happen? Uh, miracle summer we were pretty good athletes overall we were uh, today's world in baseball I realized they you need to carry eight to ten pitchers on your roster because they uh, they want to save the, the kids arm back then we only had two pitchers myself and Pierre so we had to finish our game otherwise the team would be in trouble but we were like I said we were very good athletes and we went on a run we represented our city our district, and then we represent Ontario, even though we lived in Quebec. We won that tournament. We represented Canada, the World Little League World Series in 1982. What we saw it was uh, a celebration. They invited us back to Williamsport, Pennsylvania for a reunion. And some of the kids, some of the men today, I haven't seen in 25 years, we gathered together and we, uh, that brought a lot of memories. But we had a miracle summer and what a journey it was. That's right. So do you think, let me ask you a question, get in a little, the mental side of things a little bit. Um, do you think what, like I, I used to talk to people and I, and I have the answer, you don't even have to answer it, but somebody would ask me, hey, Mike, what's, you know, within sports, what part of the game is mental, the mental part of the game, what's physical? And a really good friend of mine, uh, Don Luce, what is the percentage? I said, I'm not sure, 80? He says, no, 100%, because you're always using your mind. You're always preparing. You're always thinking. You have to put your skates on, uh, no matter what sport it is. You have to prepare for the even the Little League World Series, where you guys are 13 years old or so, or you were 
So that's something that, that I've always learned that a lot of what we do in our life is the mental side of it. Whether we're going into a meeting uh, in corporate America at the office, whatever we're doing, you have to prepare yourself. How did you prepare yourself uh, as a player? Did you deep, did you do deep breathing exercises? Did you, did you talk to the, some of the older guys at that time, some of the, maybe the mentors that you had uh, in the NHL, like on your team? Is there anybody that you really looked up to and they may have helped you be, because it's nerve wracking in the beginning, even uh, your first time playing in those first couple games, you're on adrenaline, but after that, it's, it's tough. So did you have any mentors or how did you prepare yourself? I'm, I played on six different teams. And when I started, I was with the Calgary Flames. I remember my roommate was Doug Gilmore. And I would be not lazy, but didn't know anything about the game, how to prepare yourself. So if the bus was at 10, 15, I would get up at 10, brush my teeth, and get on my suit and get on the bus. Doug would get up at 8.15, 8.30, shower, go for breakfast, read the paper, get himself ready. But that's uh, and then I played, like I said, I played with a lot of players. So I would start uh, after having a, a few bad games, I would start to mimic what uh, those players were doing. I was fortunate to have Steve Larmer as a roommate in Chicago and uh, uh, Jeremy Roenick, Theron Fleur in Calgary. And a lot of times I switch when things didn't work, didn't work my way. I would uh, sit down with players. How's your preparation? And what do you do when you're nervous in those situations? So I, I had a lot of insight with those players, and I think that made me a much better player after talking to those players. It, it really did help. I remember Mike Polino was our captain, and the first year I was 19 years old. I had nowhere to go for Thanksgiving. These guys are married with their families, and he would say, hey, will you come over to our house for Thanksgiving? I was uncomfortable, you know, a young guy just starting out. And I talked, I did this thing the other day where I went on Facebook Live, and I talked about some of the relationships that we have. And... Uh, just in New York alone, I, I, I have a, a, you know, just some of the people that we played with and we still stay in contact with here, uh, they're people that are just unbelievable people. We'll start with Adam Graves and what kind of person he is and, and what he has done for you and how he looks after people. Well, he's been an impact on my life for sure. Ever since we played together in 1994, uh, Adam is, uh, when a lot, of, a lot of people ask us, who's your favorite player of all time? And even though I played with Pierre, in St. Louis, we grew up together. My all-time favorites is Adam by far. Uh, not what he's, of course, what he did on the ice, but it's uh, the person that he, that he is off the ice, the way he treats people, the way he, everybody, he knew everyone at the garden. He knows everyone by, the, by their kids, their kids' name, their wife, and how they're, so I've learned from Adam, and I, uh, we've, I'm very fortunate to, to have him, but from the 94 teams, we had a lot of leaders, a lot of people nobody talks about, and they were good leaders in their own way. Yeah, it's unbelievable that, that the team we had. And I learned, you know, talk about mindset. I learned by watching these guys. So as a kid, I, I told Messier this. He kind of looked at me kind of funny when I said, I said, Mess, you were my hero growing up. He says, yeah, really? I said, yeah, I used to watch Hockey Night in Canada. And I'd watch the Edmonton Oilers. I was 13 years old. And they had, you know, back in those days, you know, with, with Wayne Gretzky, but we, I didn't get to play with them. I know you did. We could talk about that in a minute. But I, I was talking uh, to Mess, and I said, boy, I used to watch you guys. And, and then we played with, with six of these guys, with Kevin Lowe and Tekin and McTavish. I mean, what a great group to learn from. And we learned by just watching them on how they prepare. And I think when you talk about leadership and just 
that's how you learn. You learn by, you know, there's different types of leaders. You know, I, I didn't meet a lot of rah-rah leaders. We didn't have those, but we had these quiet leaders. Mark Messier was probably one of the quietest, nicest people we've ever met. But when he spoke, he meant something. And and he prepared. You couldn't talk to Mess before the game because he was doing imagery uh, prior, and then he was doing his own thing. But he was such a, a, a player and a person that always prepared himself. Yeah, and uh, he's one of the best leaders I ever played uh, with. And uh, they don't, you don't win five or six championship by just uh, uh, by luck. And Mess is uh, the all-time leader. But also from the '94 team, what I observed from my seat. I was the, one of the youngest guy on the team, and I, um, I look at how Kevin Lowe and McTavish, you mentioned those players. Uh, Eddie Olchek didn't have a big role on the team on the ice, but he was so good to me. Greg Gilbert, uh, Steve Larmer. So we can go down the, the list, and they didn't have a voice. They had a big voice in the past team. They were great. They were the, the, uh, the leaders in, there in Chicago and the Edmonton, but they realized their, their role is with the 94 teams. It was Mess's voice. And they did anything in their power to support him. And that's what made it so special in 94 when we went to game six in New Jersey, uh, game seven against the Devils at the Garden when Zelipukin scored. And all those guys, uh, they stood up and they, um, it was fun to watch. It was amazing. Me, the young guy again, panicking, freaking out on, the, on the, my bench, on my, in the locker room. I didn't know where to go, but just following those leaders was incredible. Yeah, before we open up for some questions, I have a bunch of questions that, that people are coming in. Uh, a lot of people don't know that on our team that Eddie Olchuk, uh, he brought this great energy to our team that you won't even believe. He was a regular player. I played at Winnipeg with him, a great friend. And, you know, he was there. He was our top player, 40 goals. He gets to New York, and we were both told we're going to be insurance players. Uh, I played 35 games. He played 37 games played one game in the playoffs, but what people don't know, he was voted players player award for our team. And the reason is because his mindset was he came prepared every day to bring the best energy he can. So you could apply this to your business as well. Anytime that, you know, there's things that you you may not love your boss. You might know where I'm going with this. I'm going to talk about our boss in a minute, but uh, you might not love your boss, but you still have to do whatever they say, and you still have to bring the best amount of energy you can to the situation. And now I'm going to talk a little bit. Now we talked about the good. I'm going to talk a little bit about the bad. There was an article in the New York Times. Uh, you were a, a fortunate person to play for Mike Keenan, who I really respect. Uh, he could have traded me at the end, and he gave me a chance to be on one of the best teams ever. I was a support player and just coming in and out of the lineup, and he, he was good. But I know everywhere i mean you played on five teams right six Six teams and you played with him and uh tell tell us a little bit about that you played in new york and st louis why don't you share your story with that they uh being a good friend with jeremy ronick with him in junior i got hurt in calgary my second year and i didn't play the whole year and jeremy i guess talked to mike said you should go get my buddy in calgary stefan he's hurt so he traded me for trent gianni Went to Chicago. I didn't play for the first two months when I got there. And he really tested me the one night when I came back. And it takes a while to get back in shape after missing four months in a season. 
So I started slow. My third games, I think he called me in the office. What's wrong with you? And I got, I was so scared of him with the reputation that he had. And I said, I don't know what's going on. I said, I'm doing my best. That, I guess that was not the right answer. And he goes, well, tomorrow, if you don't have 10 hits, if you don't get into a fight or something, you're never going to play for the Chicago Blackhawks ever again. And I, sure enough, I scored a goal, one assist, and I have fought Craig, uh, uh, Mike Craig, I think I fought. Yeah, top guy in Dallas guy, yeah. And I, um, I was so scared. I couldn't, but he came back after the game. He went to, he hit me on my shoulder. That's the way I want you to play. And that really helped me. But he was really hard. Like, if you come in being comfortable, he was really hard on you. But he, if you came prepared, that's what I liked about him. Uh, it took me years to realize that when I came prepared, I would play 20, 25 minutes in a game. He was not afraid to put you back on the ice. But if you show some weakness early in the game, then I would kiss the bench for a long, long, long time. But I had the chance to play. We lost to the finals against Pittsburgh in 92. So we had a very good run. We won the cup in 94 with the Rangers. And then I went with them in St. Louis. And we had a very good series against uh, that famous uh, goal that Steve Eisenman scored from the blue line in second overtime against uh, uh, Casey. And I had a very good run with Mike. And when I became a, a free agent, um, I went to Florida. And I retired in Florida. That was a tough season. I blame Mike for so many seasons, for, for, for so many years. Uh, but I wasn't prepared mentally and physically, and I uh, we talked about it a few years ago. And I uh, I'm glad that he coached us. I'm glad that we're part of the 1994. But it took me a lot of years to uh, to realize the impact that he had in my life. I think he made me a better player because it was hard on me. Yeah, no, he was definitely tough. You know, one mistake, and you know you're you're sitting out. But that's how you that's how you had to come prepared, uh, especially if you're a uh, a fringe player like myself coming in out of the lineup every night. One mistake, you may not be in the lineup next game. And and that was the pressure that we had to overcome. And back then, so I'm going to bring on some really good sports psychologists uh, to our show for, for questions and answers. I have two uh, two great ones that are, are going to be coming on to this. And uh, we were afraid back then to talk to the sports psychologists because if you tell them too much, we're afraid it would get back to the coach and or the, the organization and you really worried about about your job so i, I want to talk quickly we're going to open it up to some questions uh you, you had some setbacks in your life there was an article in the new york times um last year and share those setbacks and what have you learned from it well it's not a setback it's uh we go through pressures uh, we threw pressure time and i um in 1994 things were going well i scored the biggest goal in new york rangers history and after that, it took me seven years to score the next goal, uh, next goal for me in the playoff. And I live with that pressure. And I turned to alcohol a lot of nights. I would drink my, I do a drink and put my, get myself in trouble a few times. And I, um, I was sick and tired of using that excuse. Well, I made the mistake because I had too many drinks. And I, uh, I, I raised my hand, and I said I need some help. And I've been sober for 19 years, and I. Uh, but the, 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 uh, the thing wasn't complete until I came public and they came up to me and said, would you be willing to tell your story? And the article came out the night, the day that we had our celebration, our 25th anniversary, there was a big platform. Uh, ever since a lot of people came up to me uh, because it's a big disease it's, uh, that kills a lot of people. I'm not ashamed to, uh, to say that I had an issue, I had an issue with, with alcohol and I help a lot of people 
um, it's something that I will, uh, I'm proud of the thing that I handled the situation, even though it took a lot of years and a lot of people come up to me and uh, it's a big, uh, it's a big family, but uh, I was nervous when the article came out, but it's, uh, I'm glad that it did. Yeah. It's who we are. You know, that's, that's yeah. the thing. We have to be real within ourselves. A lot of people hide behind a mask and uh, you know, we're, we're very proud that you could do that because we learned from that and that we learned from other people. Um, and I, you know, I totally believe in that. So we have a, we have a couple of uh, things. I, I, one more thing, tell people what you do today. I know you do besides we do a lot of work with the Rangers. We do a lot of alumni stuff, share what you do right now with, with kids in schools. I think that was really interesting and really okay. great. We talked about it earlier. What do you, uh, you have to do what you're in life. You have to, you have to be happy to go to work. You have to be comfortable what you're doing. And I, about 12 years ago, 11 years ago, I met someone from Pennsylvania at Mark Messi Leadership Camp in New York. And I ever, ever since I've been working for him in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, I've been doing, I've been coming here once a month for 10 years. And I, uh, someone, I started my own program in the Bronx and I started this program here, uh, make you moment. Um, I go to the Bronx and I have about six schools. We talk to kids. I try to support them, uh, about life. Uh, a lot of kids in the Bronx don't know anything about the New York Rangers or anything about the hockey, but it turns to, I'm, I'm mentor those kids and I, uh, uh, I love doing it. So uh, it's everything's been put on hold the last few months, but I'm looking forward for uh, the, my next, when the schools open up again, so I can, uh, can go back to the school. Yeah. So I'm, we're getting, that's, that's awesome stuff really. And, and it's the, you leaving that legacy and, and everything that you're doing for, for people here. And I, I think it's great. And uh, we, we, we have a, a few people. Um, what is your favorite pizza place in this area, the New York, New Jersey area? Well, I've been to New York a lot of years. Uh, I've been fortunate to be one of the alumni. I was very, very busy around New York. We go to a lot of places, uh, but Benny uh, Torino's Pizza in Noboke in New Jersey became- <laughs> You're very lucky because he's right here. I, I, I don't know if you can see the messages. Yeah, he's got the biggest slice of pizza I ever had. I felt bad. He, I went to his place and he gives me two pieces of pizza. So I said, what are you kidding me? And I thought, I mean, I, I treat myself, I told them like, not a vegan or vegetarian, but I, I try to eat well and the pizza was unbelievable. And uh, boy, I had these two big pieces of pizza. So uh, Benny's mentioning things. Um, I, I see some uh, s some other comments here. Um, Mark Roseman, who wrote the book, you know, he, he's got some great books. He just wanted to know, uh, I, I lost his question, but I, I believe it's, it's mindset and what we had to do to like prepare for like having a tough, coach let's say we had a tough coach like how would you approach that situation i believe that's where mark was going on that question but looking back for what's the approach is looking back i wish i could go back in time and just uh uh go to bed earlier <laughs> eat better uh work harder in practice work harder in the gym and then the game just come naturally and but my biggest advice to a lot of people if you are stuck in a situation, don't be afraid to raise your hand. And there's a lot of pro good professional out there who can help you out with your stress, your anxiety, uh, because I always saw the negative before the game. We would play the Flyers at the Spectrum. The, I didn't see myself scoring a goal. I saw myself getting my butt kicked against Rick Tockett. So uh, you're a big guy. You're six five. So <laughs> I always that was one of my biggest weakness. I always saw the negative in things instead of seeing the positive. 
and I, I know today I would seek for, for help and uh, prepare myself even better. You know, I heard this was a, I, I read this somewhere that, uh, you know, it's, it's important that you, uh, you don't manage time, you manage your energy. I, I, you had a lot of sleepless nights. Some days I couldn't sleep in the afternoon. I was nervous, especially playing for Mike because I knew, you know, let's say we're playing in Montreal and I knew, oh boy, I, I, I don't want to make a mistake. And I wish, like you said, I wish I could move the clock back. I, and you waste the energy. And I heard this, Muhammad Ali would, he would see the person he fought um, in his sleep, in his dreams, and he would do it once. But if he kept dreaming about it over and over, that would exhaust all of his energy. And that's something I wish I would have knew back then because I'm thinking about the game the night before. You're, you're you, depending on the night, like you go into Philadelphia, they have six guys and somebody taps you on the back and says, I need you to have a physical shift. Not literally saying that. You, you sometimes have to, you think about that. It's more of the fear built up. Sometimes you want to get that shift over with already, get, to, get that first shift out of the way. Um, yeah. Uh, Joe, Joseph Edward Storinger, what advice would you give athletes in the situation right now? Uh, go ahead, Steph. What, what advice would you give a young athlete today? To what? But during the during the lockout, during the break, or what? No, just a, a, no. A young athlete, like a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, a kid playing sports. Um, I know it, but, but it's an easy uh, uh, to have fun with the process. The process is not you will lose a lot of games, and I would say don't put the the loss on your shoulder if you do your best and you come to work and you come to the game prepare without cheating and you lose you might have some bad days but overall you're gonna have a lot more good days even though you're not today's society i think people are judging the win and loss instead of just the did i do my best and have fun with the process you know the one thing i always tell people is i, I work with uh I did a thing with USA Hockey. They asked me to work with the women's Olympic team. And I did some back then, uh, we did some leadership work. I went into Lake Placid, worked with the women. And I told them the same things when I worked with USA's Hockey 14, the best 14 year olds in the country. So we, we would get to uh, Rochester, New York. And the number one thing I told everybody, there's, there's they, they, a lot of them, if you ask them their goals, they'll say the same thing. Well, my goal is to play college hockey, or play junior hockey, play college and pro. And that's fine. We, we'll talk about goals a different time. But what, what I told them is, number one, you want to have fun. Number two, you want to listen to your coaches. And the first three things that a college coach will ask is, the number one thing is, what kind of a person are you? Because you want a good person going to your school. The second thing is, does he have good grades to go to that college? And the third thing is, obviously, he's got to be able to play. So it's, it's not important to think hockey, hockey, hockey. It's neat that you played baseball uh, in the summers, which I recommend different sports. You could, and then uh, you, played, you played hockey. So that's the best advice I give athletes right now. Have fun and work as hard as you can. Don't take shortcuts. I remember that. I've had good people. And I want to say hi to Arnie Pappen. He worked with us in 1994. Uh, hey, Arnie, how are you? Good to see you here. He was with our team in 94, worked with the team behind the scenes. Um, just before we wrap it up, I see uh, how young should, should a kid start training seriously to become a college athlete? Well, Jeff, I, this is Jeff that I know from Charlotte. You were a college football player. Uh, I can answer that if you want, or what do you think there? Go ahead. Answer that question. Go ahead. Well, 
I say that you don't overuse your body. You don't overtrain. And what happens is, uh, Stefan mentioned earlier in the, uh, in, in the show that he would um, play baseball. There was only two pitchers. Well, nowadays you throw your arm out. So what happens is I believe that rep repetition is your best friend to a point because you want to train smart and you want to train hard. So like if you're, I'm not a baseball guy at a professional level. I understand the hockey lingo, but if you're going to be in the batting cage for three hours, you're going to develop bad habits. Yeah. If you're yeah. working on your pitching and you're throwing hard and nonstop, that arm eventually is going to go and your body's like a machine and not properly taken care of. It will break down. So uh, uh, I see another one, James, James Parisi here coaching 13, 14 year olds mentally is even harder than today. Yes, it is. So many distractions, parents, cell phones, TikTok. We've emphasized this on our, most of our players, every practicing game. So coaching 13 and 14 year olds is tough. I know Stefan, you know, we've done a lot with the youth hockey in that age. What, what advice can you give James to, to, to you know, to, to help out, to, to, to avoid these distractions? Well, it's easy to get a little lost in you know, uh, the phones. And a lot of kids today, they look up at LeBron James and they look at Kobe Bryant. They look at uh, Ovechkin, Crosby, and they look at the fame, the money that they can make. But the process is they put a lot of work into it. And uh, nobody owes you anything. Uh, the parents, they, uh, <clears throat> some parents, they go overboard. They, they will, uh, I don't blame the parents. I'm, I'm one of them that I made that mistake also. I would, uh, on a, my, if my son didn't have a good game at some point, I would buy him a stick to make him feel better. Uh, a lot of parents, they go through the same thing. Um, it's, uh, it's a fun part, but it's not easy to manage the kids when they are, they have to park their iPad, their iPhone, their games, and then, and then, so for uh, when they have a big event the next morning. So, uh, but it's a good process, but I would say have fun with the process and enjoy the, uh, the whole thing. Yeah, and it, it's important to have a plan in place. We talk about that a lot. I almost sound redundant. I say the same things, but I, I'm truly a believer in having a plan. So James, if you have the kids, okay, here's the plan and here are the rules, set the boundaries. And one thing I've learned in sports, I'm going off topic, is when you, you know, if you're yelling at the kids on the bench, like you're a coach, and the kids are on the ice, and you're screaming and yelling at them, shoot, shoot, their motor skills are at a different point than where you're yelling, shoot. So they're not thinking shoot at that time. So you're actually throwing it off. The more yelling and screaming they do is the harder it is for the player, a young player. Because uh, your people are yelling, the parents are yelling, and uh, it's as you get to a pro level or college level and the upper levels, you learn to block that out. But your motor skills as a young player, they're not they're not on the same time as you are. So the best thing you could do is let the kids play. Um, I, I I say this: I'm a big New York Yankee fan. Uh, I watch a lot of games, and if you watch the coach, he'll sit there, or the, the manager will sit there, and he'll have his arm folded. And he doesn't say a lot. Now he'll get mad once in a while. Even though it's a pro level, you let the players play during that time, but teach and learn with good leadership during practice or give them a structured plan. I think that's, uh, that's yeah. really important. So James, I hope we answered your question for you. So just to, just to conclude, I wanna thank uh, Stefan for being here today. We're gonna be doing a lot of these here. Stefan and I will be doing a lot of these together. We have some great, interviews coming up. Uh, there's never a bad question. 
that's for sure. So feel free to hop back on. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, thanks, Arnie. Yes, use of the video. Uh, Arnie was our video guy. So uh, it was never good to see Arnie sometimes because you knew you were in trouble. <laughs> hey, uh, Colin Campbell, Mike Keenan, come back in the back office. Oh, great. We got to go see Arnie. What did I do on video? Hey, Arnie, I remember one time I just sat there and Mike Keenan rewind and played the video 16 times and didn't say a word. I think I got the point. Again, I love Mike Keenan. Love you, Steph. And uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. Talk to you later. All right. Thank you.